All right, so the recording is going. I'll just uh, say another quick word of prayer, and then we'll get right into it. We'll read through the section, and then we'll go through the, the verses. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your many blessings. We thank you for the opportunity this morning to remember your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, during the breaking of bread. We thank you for the thoughts that were brought out there of our Lord as the, the, the King and the, the Shepherd. And we thank you, Father, for the time of fellowship. We thank you that we can share with one another and uh, rejoice with one another. And uh, we thank you for the time of singing as well, to sing your praises with the voices that you've given us. We look forward to the time uh, in the future, Father, where we're in heaven with you, singing with multitudes upon multitudes, with voices that have been perfected, Father, singing your praises for all eternity. We thank you for this opportunity to now dig into your word. We thank you for this study on Luke that we've been doing and pray that you would just take me out of this message completely Speak through me the words that you would have us to hear and pray that you would just bless the reading of your word uh, to our hearts. We thank you, Father, for these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, so Luke chapter 4, starting in 31. I did go just to the end of the chapter, but I think there's a lot of good information in here. Um, so I went 31 to 42, I believe it is. So I'll read through the whole thing. It's not a super long passage, and then we'll, uh, we'll start going through the verses. And just as a little bit of context, we know that where our, um, our brother left us, that people were not super, super happy with uh, the Lord Jesus at this time, and they planned to throw him off of a cliff, and he passed through their midst. Um, and this was, you know, when he left Nazareth and headed down to Capernaum. So in verse 31, he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha, what have you to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching 
in the synagogues of Judea. Once again, may the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts. So as we, as we start here again, um, I mentioned the context earlier, but they were not super happy with the Lord Jesus as we ended off the last section. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to throw him off of a cliff, and he passed through their midst. We see the power at work um, by the Lord Jesus Christ. If a massive multitude has their sight set on an individual person, that's their focus of their ire and their hatred, and he just got away. He just passed through their midst, it says. He just went away. And you can imagine that that would be a pretty difficult thing to do if the entire focus of that throng or that mob was to end your life. Um, but it was not his time. So he passed through their midst and he went away. So we see here starting in verse 31 that he goes down to Capernaum. I thought it was interesting. McDonald said Nazareth's loss is Capernaum's gain in this case, um, which made me chuckle here. We know that uh, there are verses that were cited even in the previous section, and there's other uh, passages where we can see that a prophet um, basically has no clout or respect in his own hometown. Um, you know, I think there's, we can even see sections where it says, is, is this not, you know, the son of, of Joseph and Mary? You know, people we know. That, that immediately kind of takes away all of the respect um, that, that would be otherwise given to these individuals because they're like, oh, they're just like us. I know these people. Um, so just an, just an interesting note there. But he, he, leaves, he leaves Nazareth there and he heads to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And it's interesting here as we see that he teaches on the Sabbath. He teaches them and they're astonished at his teaching. It says, for his word possessed authority. Now, um, the notes that I took on this passage were that there is a lot to be said about one who speaks with authority. I don't know if I tend to do that. I think I have a loud voice or at least a booming voice or a deep voice. But a lot of times I'll, I'll say things like, oh, take this with a grain of salt or study it out for yourself or you need to prove that out and read the word and make sure that that's what you believe as well. I don't think the Lord Jesus Christ did that. He just said, this is how it is because he knew how it was. I mean, these words were basically his words breathed in scripture, his doings. I mean, as part of the triune Godhead, um, he didn't have to say any of those types of things that I say. So as we look at this, I, I think about people at work. I'm sure, you know, those of you who were, you know, in the professional workplace have met people that speak with authority because they really, really know their craft. Um, in my sphere of influence, I guess, robotic process automation, I can tell if somebody really knows what they're talking about with regard to RPA or if they have no idea and they're just trying to like fake it till they make it. Like Casey, no. Um, yeah, yeah, I know what that means. <laughs> um, but I've seen a lot of it. It doesn't have to be RPA. I just use that because that's what I'm familiar with and I'm able to kind of discern. I think you can kind of tell as well though, even if you're not familiar with subject matter, when somebody is doing that sort of thing because they don't actually give you any meat that you can latch onto. There's no content there. They just dance around and skirt around what actually should be said. It's probably similar to how, you know, some of the false prophets of the day would make their prophecies super vague, whereas the Lord Jesus Christ didn't have to do that. He would say, oh, this is gonna happen. Here's exactly when it's gonna happen, how it's gonna happen, who it's gonna happen to, and it would just happen exactly like that. 
similar here to the authority with which is being spoken. And, you know, the opposite of my sad little simile over here to work is that you can also tell on the flip side when someone really, really knows their stuff. Because if you question them on it, they're like, yep, it's this. I know it's this. I've actually proved that out and, and I, I have an understanding of that. So these people could, could they, they could latch onto that. In fact, Mark chapter two, uh, you don't have to turn there. It's just a quick verse. Verse 22 of Mark chapter two um, talks about the same exact story, the same occurrence. And it says, and they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So that's a little bit extra that Mark throws in here that we don't see in Luke. And it kind of juxtaposes the way that the Lord Jesus Christ taught with the way that the scribes taught because they viewed themselves as like the religious authorities, the scribes and the Pharisees. They knew the Old Testament. It's not like they didn't, but there was something extra. There was something additional about the way that the Lord Jesus taught that had that authority and that finality and surety with what he said. And it doesn't surprise me because as we know from many stories about the Pharisees and the scribes, although they may have studied it enough to set themselves apart and raise themselves up on their pedestals and extort people by using that position for money and things like that, they didn't probably really know the scriptures and take it to heart, certainly not anywhere near the level that the Lord Jesus did. And so that was obvious. It was obvious at least to Mark because it's in his, his gospel in the writing. And I'm sure it was obvious to some because it says that they were astonished at his teaching. If it wasn't obvious to them, they wouldn't be astonished. And this isn't just like they thought it was really good. They were astonished. If you look at the language there, um, it's, it's a much more powerful word used to describe their reaction to that. So those who speak with that surety born out of a knowledge, in this case, the knowledge that the Lord Jesus Christ had of the truth being part of the Godhead. Um, and there's nothing new or groundbreaking in this application. It just popped out to me and I like to make practical application because as we study through these verses, there's definite import and value in looking at things as they are in the verses for that time frame, but also in making application to our lives today. And again, this is a very simple and straightforward one, but in the same way that the people were astonished by what the Lord Jesus was saying and by the authority that he was saying those things with, I think that it's important that we make sure that people are astonished or at least notice the difference in how we live. And potentially, if we're given an opportunity, what we say to them, but certainly how we live and how we act and how we speak and how we carry ourselves because we're in the world, but not of the world. And in much the same way as somebody would look at one of the scribes or Pharisees and hear what they're saying and then look at the Lord Jesus Christ and hear what he's saying, it was a night and day difference. And if they look at us and how we work in the workplace and how we talk and how we interact with others and how we may show mercy and how we live for Christ, it should be obvious and we should strive to make it obvious because the opposite of doing so is to conform and make it so that you don't stand out because it's uncomfortable because you don't wanna be called out for being different. And I'm not saying this because I mastered the technique. I need as much prayer, if not more, than anyone else here or anywhere else. And we see people that I would consider way above myself in terms of spirituality, somebody like Peter, who 
spending time day to day with the Lord Jesus Christ himself manifest in the flesh when pressured by the world and given an opportunity to stand apart and go against the flow, said three times, no, I, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know this man. I'm not with him. And then, you know, we know the story from there. So it's not as if I'm saying, let's do that. And it's super easy to do. It's not easy to do when you're pressured by everybody else around you going a certain way and we have an opportunity to stand out and be different. It's definitely not an easy thing to do, but we should pray for the wisdom and the grace and the strength to do that in our daily walk with the Lord. So in verse 33, in the synagogue, I thought this was interesting as well. This man with the unclean spirit was in the synagogue. And in Mark, I think it says, if you continue in in chapter two there, where we read that other verse, it says, and immediately there was a man in the synagogue who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And back here in, in Luke, it says, and he cried out with a loud voice. And my translation in the ESV says, ha, I don't, that's, that's just what uh, they translated that word to. But in, uh, in a note, in a, in a contextual translation note, there is leave us alone in place of ha. It says leave us alone. And I liken this to what we're going to read when we get to Mark chapter, or sorry, Luke, excuse me, and probably Mark, if the chapters kind of line up there, but certainly as, as we come up in, in the Gospels, we see the story of uh, Legion, right? We see the story of, of the man who was wandering amidst the, the, the graves, and um, we see the Lord confronting him. And uh, I just thought it was interesting here that it doesn't call out the fact that there were many demons in this individual in, in uh, the, the chapter we're looking at in Luke 4. But we do know that he says, what do you have to do with, with us, basically? What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come here to destroy us? So I'm just, either the demon is saying me and the person that I'm in, my vessel, or all of us, multiple demons. So we know that that is a, is a possibility because we've, we also know the story that I just mentioned of Legion. And we know what happens in that story. But obviously possessed with a demon speaking through him in the plural, again, for whatever um, purpose that may be or whatever the underlying reason that may be, if there's a score of demons in there as well. But the, the utterance of the demons, and there's, there's a theme here that we're seeing. We just started talking about it with the authority and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even when he just speaks and opens the scripture to people, they can, they can sense it and they can tell that he has that power and that authority. When the demons speak, although the people may not have understood this at the time, but the demons give us an additional glimpse into the power and capability and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, because by them saying, have you come here to destroy us? It's understood that he has the power to destroy them. So fear not the one who can destroy the body, as we know, but the one who can destroy the soul So as we think about the one who actually has power over the spiritual realm, power that was probably not really, again, understood by the people who were there as they may have been witnessing this thing unfolding, but the demons certainly knew. And what I kind of got from this was just fear, just pure fear, because they knew who he was and they knew the position relative to themselves that they were in or relative to him that they were in. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. 
And Jesus rebukes the demons or demons saying, be silent and come out of him. So, again, I, the, the testimony as well from the demon in the hearing of all of those, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, I probably dug way too much into this section, but I thought it was interesting because somebody who, you know, if you think of Legion, you know, going amidst the graves and beating himself and, and wailing with, with chains, unable to bind him and those types of things, a person like this, it doesn't give us the background or the context, but someone demon-possessed was probably viewed maybe then and, and certainly now as potentially being just, you know, maybe mentally challenged, not right in the head, however you want to say it. So whatever they may have said may not have carried a lot of weight. They're like, ah, that's just a, the ramblings of a crazy person. Um, so whether or not the people who were gathered there said like, wait, did you hear that? That person just called him the Holy One of God. Um, would that actually be like a, a great testimony? Be like, oh, I believe that. Um, certainly maybe when they saw what happened, as we're going to look at here in a minute, but we know, looking at this, what a stark testimony that was from the demon because the demon knew in a spiritual sense exactly who uh, they were addressing, the Holy One of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and God basically incarnate is part of the triune Godhead. So whether or not in the hearing of a possessed person they, um, you know, who, who may have been already potentially societally outcast and on the fringes, um, that could be par for the course in their minds of just, you know, the ramblings. But we see it as a perfectly accurate description of the Holy One of God. And we also see that Jesus rebukes the demon. And we see this a lot. We don't see it in regard to just demons, but we see it also in regard to demons or with respect to demons, specifically because it says that... Um, we, we, we're going to read this again a little bit later, but as, as we look down into um, verses 40 and 41, it talks about demons coming out of people as he's healing people as well, and he's casting out these demons, but he, he won't allow them to speak because they know that he's the Christ, and they come out of him saying, you are the son of God. So again, the power and the authority showcased here, but I thought it was, I thought it was interesting that he does not allow them to speak. You know, I think we touched on a little bit of this. I think we touched on the fact that they wanted to, they would, they would make him a king. Certain things may happen that the Lord Jesus Christ did not want to happen. I won't get, I won't get um, into it too much now, but I'm going to return to this thought uh, in a bit here about why Christ was actually here on the earth and what could very, very easily have transpired if he didn't say, you know, and, and he's God. He knew what would happen. So he healed somebody and said, hey, don't, don't spread this around. And then the person goes and spreads it around. He's not like, oh, darn it, I should have done something else. Or why didn't I just do this? Like, he knew what was going to happen. But um, still, he took the opportunity to make sure that these demons were quiet because they were just giving a direct witness to who this person was or who... He was as the Holy One of God. But nevertheless, he chooses to whom he'll reveal himself. Casey mentioned the woman at the well and how interesting it was that 
He didn't say like, no, 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 don't, you know, don't, I'm not going to tell you who I am or anything. He just said plainly um, who he was. You know, he chooses to whom he will reveal himself and then he chooses to whom he will say um, that, you know, make sure that you just go and show yourself to the, to the priests and, and, and make your, you know, appropriate actions for the cleansing there, and, and, but don't, don't spread it around. Uh, and then it may have happened anyway. Um, but commanding these demons to be silent, a twofold command here in verse 35, be silent and come out of him. And we don't see anything else out of the demon because we know in the Legion passage that the demons, they say, don't make us leave this country. We want to stay here. Can we go into those pigs? So there's more. They're, they're just begging and they're pleading and they're looking for anything that they can do to continue to, I don't understand the spiritual economy or what was happening there, but for some reason they wanted to just continue to cause more destruction and stay in those pigs. And it says that those pigs went and fell off the cliff and into the sea and they all died. So then, then where did the demons go? Did they just leave the country then anyway or go find somebody else? Like, I don't know. Those are the things that are still mysterious and mysteries to us, or at least to me. If anyone has all these answers, you can let me know afterwards. Um, but, uh, but we see the power and the authority. Be silent. That's the last we hear out of them and come out of them. And it says, and when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him having done him no harm. So the power of the Lord Jesus Christ invoking an immediate response from this demon and the to-the-letter obedience uh, and carrying out of the order that Christ gave. Um, but again, the, the interesting note here, and I'm, I'm looking at my notes here now, and I guess I did get into it a, a little bit more in this section, but Christ knew that the things that he did, especially things like this, where a lot of people are watching and he healed somebody, somebody who could never walk from birth, or somebody who was obviously demon-possessed and had been in a community for a while and people knew that something was wrong, and then he took care of that situation and they were perfectly whole after that, mentally and, and physically. And he knew that that would spread like wildfire throughout the surrounding regions and probably even beyond that. And throughout that, however, his purpose was resolute. Like he didn't, he didn't come to get people to bow down to him. We talked about what being a king was this morning in the breaking of bread and being a shepherd. He didn't come to get people to, to, to bow down to him and convince them that... Um, you know, he was going to be their ruler and, and that they needed to obey him and bow down to him. He, in, in every opportunity that we see, the Lord Jesus Christ is giving the glory to God the Father. And even with word of him racing across the regions, he still ended up dying on the cross. So he could very easily have said, oh, you want to make me your king? All right, cool. Well, let's do that then. That'd be much easier than going and dying on the cross. Um, it could have done anything. It could have gone a myriad of different ways, but his purpose was to do the will of his father, God. Whether it was to ensure that he didn't receive any of the glory and it all passed on to the father, or just to ensure that every footstep that he took carried him closer and closer to the cross of Calvary, which was his purpose, he never strayed from it to the right or, or to the left. And so we see that even with 
and that's what was so interesting to me about this because he's telling like, you know, the demons, be silent. And we'll see again later in 40 and 41, you know, commanded them not to speak because they knew who he was and he didn't want that said. And then telling people not to spread things around, even knowing that they would. And just, just doing the healing and, and all of that stuff, knowing that that was going to spread like wildfire. But still working out his purpose and his timing, like we saw him passing through the myriad of people and the multitude there. without They all wanted to kill him without being harmed. Making sure that his purpose stayed resolute uh, in lockstep with the will of his heavenly father. Um, and in verse 38 here, we have a continued, and, and again, verse 37, you see, reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And it's the same thought that we saw earlier in this section where with what authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. So several, and we're going to see even more here in a bit, but several different opportunities where we see the power of the Lord in the way that he teaches and the way that he commands these unclean spirits. Um, and now we're going to see as well his power, not just over uh, the unclean spirits, but also over sickness. And it says in verse 38 that he rose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. So another example here of the power of the word of the Lord Jesus. So he stood over her in verse 39 and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. I'll touch on that last part there in a minute, but I was struck by I was struck by the there's a little story that I have, not that it's going to be any again any sort of like amazing tie-in or um, similarity to the to the passage here, but during his ministry, we see times where people were like literally thronging around the Lord Jesus, not to throw him off the cliff in this case, but to just touch him, just, just to get, oh, like here, this is what I'm dealing with. Can you heal me? My leg has been lame forever, or I've got this issue, or I've got that issue, or um, people taking roofs off of, of buildings. Like that's just in even the next passage beyond this one, um, to lower those down who are sick to be healed by him. People just rabid with the thought of, if I could just talk to him, maybe he would cure me of this physical ailment that's been bothering me for insert time period, right? Months, weeks, years, my whole life. So people, humans, us included, certainly me included, are so focused on the physical. And I've talked about this in my last message and other messages. I'm sure it's probably ad nauseum at this point, but... We're so focused on the here and the now and the physical and the things that we can see and touch and feel, including the physical afflictions that we suffer from. Every day, this thing bothers me. It's always before me, a thorn in my flesh. Oh, to be rid of it. Lord, please heal me of this affliction. Would that we would cry out for spiritual healing of our sin 
and help in times of temptation in the same way that we probably pray to be rid of a stomach virus that's been with us for weeks and we're just constantly getting sick or some sort of injury that we sustained that's bothering us. So the thing that, that I would bring up, because I think it's funny in the same way that you would look at it as like, that's not really a big deal, but I have a little Band-Aid on my pinky and you're like, oh, poor Mark, would you get a paper cut or something? Like, I, uh, I used to bite my nails. When I would get nervous, I would bite my nails. Just a bad habit from childhood. I think my dad did it, and I probably observed it, and I started doing it. Eventually, I stopped when I, a little while ago when I was younger. I stopped doing that. Um, I didn't have to use, like, the nasty-tasting stuff you put on your fingernails or whatever. I didn't have to deal with that. But today... Um, or more recently, I don't bite my fingernails, but sometimes I'll bite the skin on the corner of my fingers. Um, and I don't even know I'm doing it. Before I realize it, I'm like, oh, I must have been nervous or thinking about something at work and really stressed about a big project or a big deployment that we have. Again, going back to work and RPA and all that stuff, but that's my life, right? And so usually what happens is nothing. You know, I just do it and I'm like, oh, whatever, and I go on about my life. But twice now, they've gotten infected. And the first time I, I had to take antibiotics because my whole thumb swelled up and it was gonna be a problem. It started to go down my thumb and I had to take antibiotics. This time on my pinky, it seems to be getting better. Praise the Lord, I didn't have to take antibiotics. But the infection was so bad and so painful that any little, any little bump, if I was reaching for my phone and I just hit my pinky on the corner of the thing, it's like, you just cut my finger off, it's excruciating. And it reminded me of this, like that immediately brings you back to that circumstance and your mind is just torn to thinking about that thing again. I think, I know we've talked about this in, in, in the past as well about things like physical reminders in a good way to help us think about the Lord Jesus. Things like fasting. When your body is constantly like, hey, you need to eat, I'm really hungry here. Of course, your mind is going to go to that because it's a physical prompting that's like, hey, notice me, look at me. And then your mind is like, yeah, but I'm doing that on purpose. And you jump immediately back to the spiritual because that's why you're putting yourself in that circumstance. In this case, my mind was constantly just back to my finger like, man, I wish this would get better because I, I, it changed how I had to do everything. Like washing my hair, I was like, I had to have the old pinky out technique, like I was gonna drink from a teacup or something like that. Everything, wrestling with the kids, like they would just grab my finger and it would be, I'd be done because I'd be like, you know, rolling on the floor. Um, and it just, it just kept bringing me back. And so I, I thought about that with respect to this passage where, and we're gonna look at this as well here um, towards the end of the section that I'm speaking on where the Lord Jesus Christ didn't, come specifically to heal, you know, pinky infections and, and, and blindness and lameness and muteness and deafness and, and, you know, fevers and issues of blood and all these things. He did them. He had mercy on the crowds. He had mercy on those who he came into contact with. He cast out demons from them. But that's not why he came. And we're going to look at that again. But the people were so focused on that aspect of it alone because, and again, we're not any different from this, the day-to-day -day bombardment of the physical in front of our eyes 
just keeps us focused there and the spiritual takes a back seat. And I think it's an active and a constant battle to bring the spiritual back into the forefront. That's why I love the breaking of bread. That's why I love weekly being able to come here and set ourselves aside and focus on the spiritual and get away from the stresses of work and life and taxes and bills and not Bill Cade, but just bills and paying bills and things like that. Um, but just all the things, you know, I, I, I know I talk about this probably almost every message, but the trappings, um, that's going to be, that's going to be my put God on the throne, Seuss Narita probably thing that I always talk about is, um, is just working and praying for that discernment and that strength to put aside the physical, whether it's ailments or whether it's just the stresses in the day to day and just give it all to Christ. Um, he's going to take care of it. We know that he has the power. We're reading a passage about the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus here as viewed through all these different circumstances. But again, and we'll talk about this more too in just a second, but um, the, the, the fervor with which people were focused on and, 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 and driven towards the Lord Jesus Christ to heal them of their physical ailments um, is a pattern and a theme. So when we get into verse 39 here, when, when, when the Lord Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law, the, the healing, and again, this is another glimpse at these layered uh, levels of power of the Lord Jesus Christ, the healing is so complete. And, and, and the way that the Lord works in our lives, we know is so above and beyond what we could ever ask or think. Not only does he remove the fever, but he removes any trace of her having had the fever because she's able to immediately get up and serve them. If you've ever had a bad fever or a bad sickness that is accompanied by a fever, I'm sure you know that even after the fever might break or even after you, you might be done with the main symptoms of whatever the sickness is, you're not like gonna go run a marathon. You're not up like, oh, I'm gonna go rake the leaves. Or I'm gonna go work in the yard. Like you're probably gonna stay in bed and rest and recuperate but he heals her so completely and immediately that she gets up and she starts to serve them. And so again, showcasing that she didn't need some additional bed rest or say, it doesn't say that she was just made well. It's specifically called out here that she was, her bodily strength was returned to her as well. It wasn't just the fever breaking at the word of the Lord Jesus. So immediately, she rose and began to serve them there at the end of verse 39. So now as we look at verse 40, this is what I was talking about, the pattern that we see. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. So again, it doesn't say that they recognized their sin and they came before him with repentant hearts and said, heal me of my, my, my sin. They just wanted their physical ailments healed. So the pattern that we'll talk about here in the next kind of clump of four verses, we already touched on it with a desire of people to see their physical ailments cured before their spiritual ones. But the Lord, his grace and mercy were such that it says that he laid his hands on every one of them. And healed them. At least that's what it says in the ESV here in my translation. But at the end of verse 40, he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And again, we see in 41, 
and demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And again, we already talked about that. Um, but he, he wanted to make sure not only that God received the glory, but also that he was going to be the one to, to share the good news of the gospel. He needed to preach the news of the kingdom of God to the other towns. We're going to look at that here in a second. Um, but the demons knew exactly who he was. And I actually wrote that in my notes. I wrote, they knew who he was. And then I wrote, I wrote wait a minute, who he is, the great I am. It's not like he was that and no longer is. He always is that. They know who he is. The demons know precisely who he is. And again, it goes back to the juxtaposition of the, the dichotomy of what we just talked about with the physical and the spiritual because the demons could perceive and understand the spiritual realm and they knew exactly who was standing before them. It's almost like you could see a person standing there, the human visage of the Lord Jesus and say like, oh, we know who that is. That's just another guy. It's just a guy like sitting here among us. That's the son of Joseph and Mary. And then the demons look at him and they see him like he was seen in the beginning of Revelation. Like you can't even describe it. Just, you know, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I'm just saying it like that because if you could see him in his spiritual sense, I think it would be a much, a much different visualization. Um, and in my mind, I like to think of it or liken it to how we see John describing the Lord Jesus at the beginning of Revelation. Um, and just, you know, again, just the power and the effervescence of power um, such that you would fall at his feet as a, as a dead man uh, when, you would, when you would witness something like that. And so, again, so... Expanding a bit more on the thought that, uh, that I had before, the walk of the Lord seems to start with the conveyance of the spiritual message, right? We see him teaching in the synagogues. That's how we started this section. Um, we know that when he goes to other places, you also usually see that, that he starts teaching. And that's kind of, you know, again, normally and logically how people would start to kind of get to know that he was there and he, he's kind of teaching the good news from place to place. But, and we see that here, I'll read those two real quick. When it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. So he, he goes away, but the people, the people sought him and they came to him and they would have kept him from leaving them. Because again, they're drawn to his authority and power, but also the fact that he's able to heal and cleanse and, and cast out demons. Again, the physical remedies that he was providing. But he said to them in verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So in my notes, I wrote, you know, we, we think of the Lord Jesus Christ um, as the great physician, but the real disease that he sought to eradicate or that at least he sought to cure us of and make a way for to become the door that we looked at, you know, this morning in the breaking of bread through which we can go to, to be saved and be cured of that sin, um, it, it's just that. It's sin. It's not leprosy or a fever or blindness or being lame or being deaf or being mute or anything else, um, even physical death. We know that he had power over that with Lazarus and other circumstances where, um, but again, that was not the purpose for which he came because those physical ailments 
mean nothing when stacked up against the eternal weight of circumstance and um, what's going to happen to your eternal soul, uh, you know, when it's time uh, at the end of time, either to be in, uh, in heaven with the Lord or in hell for all eternity. Um, that was his purpose. I much preached the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. His focus on the spiritual, although again, he had mercy on those around him as he viewed the, the, the physical presence and repercussions of sin in the world, causing all these diseases, causing death, um, you know, and, and, and having mercy on people and healing those things. Um, but the work of the Lord was to do his father's will and to cure us of something and to cure them of something that they weren't even considering when they were thronging about him to have their diseases healed and their sicknesses cured and their leprosy wiped away and all of those things. Um, and he was bent on healing the spiritual condition around, of those around him. We talked about the people that tore the roof off so they could lower their friend down because there's no way they're getting a bed through the front door because of all the people who also were there to have their physical ailments and, and conditions remedied. But in the next chapter of this very book, he says, he, he knew why they were there, but he says to the man, your sins are forgiven you. The focus, again, is on the spiritual circumstance of these individuals, not their physical ailments. Although those were also cured, we see that his purpose here, first and foremost, is for the spiritual condition. And again, we know, having been ushered into the family of God, those of us who have accepted that free gift of salvation, we know that that's what's truly important. Because you could get healed you could have been lame from the day you were born, unable to walk, and then you're miraculously healed, and the next day you die, and you spend the rest of eternity in hell because you didn't have the spiritual healing. You weren't healed of your spiritual condition. And so what good is that for a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, that as well as in the next chapter, um, in, in chapter 5, 31 and 32. So not to steal the thunder of whoever's going to get to that section. It might even be me, depending on how quickly or not we go through the books here. Um, but we see all those aspects of, of Christ as the great physician, but coming first and foremost to save us from our spiritual plight, not from the physical. Um, and again, as I mentioned, as far as exhortation, may the Lord give us grace to stand apart and stand out for him. And may we have the grace and the strength to constantly put aside the physical and the things that we're bombarded with day after day after day and focus on the spiritual. And that will come along with time spent reading the word, time spent praying to, to, to God um, and giving these circumstances, may you know, they be spiritual or otherwise, physical, day-to-day, -day, anything. Nothing is too big or too small. Giving those to him. And then again, making sure that we're standing out um, so that people will see us. They may not be astonished, but I guarantee that they will notice it and think that it is different and probably weird. And that's why it is so tempting to want to just blend in and be like, I don't want people to think that I'm a weirdo or different. I mean, in the workplace, I've heard it said of me. I've heard it said of others who I know to be Christians. I don't know about denominational differences or whatever, but like, oh yeah, they're 
I don't know, they're, they're pretty religious. They, they don't swear, you know, and that's kind of like in the secular workplace, that's how you get your point across. You swear up and down like, oh, they, they mean business because they're really using some strong words there. And so if you don't do that, you stand out because you're different. You're not doing that. Everybody else does that. That's kind of weird. So, you know, may we, have, may we have the boldness and the grace to stand out like that on purpose that the Lord may use us according to his wisdom in an opportunity to, as he said here, preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other uh, towns as well. And in our case, to anyone who we come into contact with that he would have us do so. Um, let us just uh, close in a word of prayer here. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this passage that we can read. We thank you for his time here on earth and the authority with which he spoke. We thank you, Father, for um, the mercy and grace that he had to reach out to those around him and heal them of their physical ailments. But we thank you so much more, Father, that his true purpose here was to save us from our spiritual plight, to save us from the position that we had where we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And now we have so much joy as long as we maintain our focus on the spiritual and we understand that no matter how things are in this physical life, we've been saved and translated into such a blessed circumstance and such a blessed position as joint heirs with Christ and we have the hope of heaven and we have all of eternity to look forward to together with you and with Christ praising and worshiping you and we thank you, Father, for that. We just ask again the blessing of your word uh, to our hearts this morning. Um, and we just thank you again for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.